Well, you're ready to go. Put on your uh, seatbelts. We're going to go into a good, good session. I'm, I'm eager for, to share with you some of these things about uh, formidable faith. If you've been noticing uh, on our in our marquee, we've been moving from each of these sections from fading faith and to flourishing faith to for, formidable faith, and we're we're in a movement here. And so, uh, you guys are going to get some meat to chew on and to go back home. Uh, yesterday, uh, as Linda said, uh, uh, Joe and Leah were here, and we had a wonderful time at the wedding. And even though they're little blips, uh, after the wedding was great too because in their reception, it was such a romantic affair. You can't see everything, but it was just, it was one of these things. It was just a, a wonderful summer wedding. And as I was talking to uh, Joe and Leah, uh, and as, as I was giving the service, uh, uh, leading the wedding, I, I quoted this passage in 1 Corinthians 2, and I greeted them. I said, you know, you guys have been brought together here by an invisible hand. You think it's, you love each other, but there's somebody else behind the scenes doing the work. And I said, share this verse. I said, however, just as, as it is written, what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard, and it has not entered into the heart of man all that God has got prepared for those who love him. And as, as I shared, you guys are making a vow this morning to start a new life together as a couple, which was a, a time to celebrate because God had been at work. And as I began to humbly, as I was writing this, I thought, this is a wonderful day, a very beautiful day. The, the families were, it, the spirit was just such that the chemistry, you knew it was great to be here. It was a wonderful marriage, wonderful wedding, wonderful, everything was just wonderful. It was a taste of heaven. And yet, as I talked with them, I said, you know, you guys uh, need to understand uh, that what God wants to do in your marriage has not been revealed to you yet. That there's more coming. It's a surprise. And that what Joe is going to experience from Leah throughout his life and her involvement in his life and what Leah is going to experience through the surprises and conundrums or whatever they go through together is that God has got more in store. And these two are going to go down together that road. And I said, you know, you, Joe, can't love her like the way God wants you to love her unless you know the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, though those who labor, labor in vain. <clears throat> and I said, but Joe, God wants you to give Leah the love that he has for you and for her. And as I began to share how these two become one and Leah, that God is involved in your life, and that this isn't just by needs, this is by desires. That this covenant that you're making now is out of your heart commitment to really stay with one another. And you have to understand these three things about marriage. And I said marriage, first of all, is a spiritual affair. It's God's affair where your spirit has to be connected with God's spirit vertically. And that you don't look to your wife or to your spouse to meet your needs because if God is meeting your deepest needs, then you are free in, in your spiritual relationship with Christ. You're, you have everything you need. 
And that spirit goes into your soul. And that your soul is when you receive from Christ and then you're filled with Christ and then you bring your person, all that you are as a man, all that you are as a woman, in your personality, you're made heal, you're whole, you're growing, you're healthy, and you bring yourself and you give yourself freely to other, to each other. And that's when I shared uh, that, that when you move towards her with her best interest in mind at your expense, that's what love is. But if you move towards her with your interest of mind at her expense, that's what sin is. So you don't use each other. You don't manipulate each other. You don't try to argue or be political or try to one-upmanship. But, but as I began to share that if you don't have Christ filling your life, if Christ is gone, then it's just kind of a political thing. But God's design is to make you whole. And so you get spiritual oneness, you got soul oneness, and then you have the physical oneness that you come and give yourselves physically, sexually, intimately, and you have access to no one else. This is a private affair, a beautiful affair. It's like you belong to him. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. This whole idea I was sharing, and I get excited about this because the weddings are fun. But then it hit me when I was writing this, I thought, that's not the way it is. <laughs> I thought so much of marriages, the statistics are against us. The, uh, it's just a matter of time before kids come in and work comes in or the world comes in or disease comes in or something. And all of a sudden, that glorious ideal loses its shine. And people adjust their expectations. And so I said to myself, self, uh, I said, unless God builds the house, it won't get built. And that kind of ideal, to understand what the Lord has for us, prepared for us, needs a kind of faith, a nourished faith, a mature faith, that if you don't have that sensibility to listen to the Lord, well, you don't have that nourish. You don't have that maturity, and that's where we are. As I thought about that, when we're talking about the Christian life and and what we believe in the Scriptures, here at Chesterland Baptist, we are a learning community, we are a loving community, but we know we're messed up. We know we don't have it together. We know we don't have to pretend to be somebody we're not. But not a lot of churches are like that, so they have to pretend that God has done more for them than he really has. So we give the right answers, but the realities are behind the doors, like this one pastor's family said, if you knew my husband when he was not in the pulpit, you wouldn't think he was so godly. And the parents quit walking with Christ because of the example at home. Well, this idea that we're into, <clears throat> we've been in a series where we've been talking about nourishing that faith. And the nourishing of that faith, like 1 Peter 2.2 says, like newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow in respect to salvation. That idea that a baby is going to be nourished at the breast when the mother holds that baby and that gaze is on the mother's face, there's something released in the mother that's an oxytocin 
and it's the love hormone that just says, I am so in love with my child. And so that gaze the baby sees is the, 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 the delight of the mother's face. And the baby responds because it's just a reciprocal relationship where mom loves me and I love mom and, and that's all it is, just me and mom. And for the baby, they're growing in respect to salvation. But you grow up and then this is where we've been when we looked at what Paul is doing with the Gentiles. He's helping Gentiles grow up, get nourished in the faith. And so first thus, he says, you guys have the work of faith. I'm thankful for that. You have the, the, the labor of love. I'm thankful for that. And you have the increasing hope. I'm thankful for that. And then he goes to the second thess. And by the time he gets to second Thessalonians, those babies had grown up and their faith uh, was greatly enlarged and their love had been increasing. And all those things have to do with nourished, formidable faith. And so we're in this series where we're looking at the understanding faith development. And so these are the stages, and I've added more, but we're going to show you where we're going, that there's an ineffective faith that doesn't work. The non-believer doesn't have it. They don't care about Christ. They're dead. They have no interest because they have no relationship. They haven't been born again. They're not saved, and therefore they don't care. Why would you expect somebody who doesn't know Christ or have faith to be wanting to be interested in things of the Spirit. They wouldn't. Then you have this initial faith where people come to Christ because they know that there's something about Jesus that they may not understand fully, but as a baby doesn't understand fully, they put their faith in Christ. And we said before that it's not just simply accepting Jesus as your Savior. It's realizing it's more than just saying the magic formula and getting your ticket to go to heaven. And that's where I think the American culture, we tended to buy into an easy believism that if I say the magic words, I'm saved. And that's what we don't believe that's true. But initially, that's where you start. You start with the cross. You start with the salvation. You start with the person and the work of Christ. And then you go, then you start growing as an infant, and you grow through these stages of wobbly, I can't walk, you know, and, and then you're hungry and you don't understand, you can't speak the language. Well, that's what a lot of baby Christians do. They don't know how to do things because they're still babies. But then you have this place where you get to this increasing faith, and this is where we're on the right here where you're starting to grow and you get your wings and you start to fly. This increasing faith, when Jesus was a little boy, he went to the temple and it says he grew in stature, in favor with God and man. And so as Jesus grew in faith, he knew and he taught that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he knew that life wasn't just physical. He knew that you had to nourish your spirit. Well, you move that into maturing faith. And last week we talked about an enemy. You have an enemy that wants to destroy you, wants to keep you away from that faith. And therefore you have this serpent who's filled with disinformation and deceit and wants to keep you away from that faith that delights in you. Paul said it this way, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that your minds 
may somehow be led astray from your sincere, underline, sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And therefore, we're learning, and I want you to be able to not only learn it, I want you to be able to experience and communicate that. And if you don't have that ability to communicate well, then you're going to be in one of these stages that's going to lock you into an infantile or immature state. But here's what you need to know. And you know this, that salvation is not just saying the magic words, I believe in Jesus, or I believe in God, I get into heaven. There's something more going on. God is not that silly or superficial. That salvation, you understand, takes place when your guilt of your sin is washed away by the blood. The wrath of God has been reconciled and you step into a relationship of peace because it's just as if you had never sinned because Jesus gives you his reputation. And that righteousness is yours because the Lord is yours. And if you are hidden in him, if you are rooted and grounded in him, what is Jesus is yours. You become the heir of salvation. All the kingdom is open to you. And there's something wonderful about being a Christian. And my metaphor for being a Christian, you know, <clears throat> is the Beverly Hillbillies. Come listen to my story about a man named Jed. And you take a Christian from the hillbilly and take him into Beverly, Hillbilly, Beverly Hills. And all of a sudden this mansion said, go. And so you shazam. And so you don't know how to live in this new mansion. It's a cross culture. It's a kingdom where everything is yours, and yet you don't really know much about it. And that's where you growing in grace means you understand how to become comfortable with the Lord loving you in such a way, moving in such a way that you begin to see, huh. He's far much more. He's got more prepared for me in my life through my wife and through my relationships and through my body and through my work and through this culture. But that's beginning of salvation. Then that work is the sanctification, the setting apart and focusing on the purposes of God. And as you grow in that, the Spirit of God becomes more real. You understand. You think and you become aligned with what God is doing. So you are in a learning mode. And as you learn, you go, yes, Lord. And so the Christian life is one big yes to the Lord and a lot of little uh-huhs. And you've been through a lot of uh-huhs in your treatment. And you've been suffering some things. And, and you know what that's like. Physically, you've gone through those tests. But you reverse it, like in the wedding, I said there's a spirit, soul, and body. We start with the body, and then we go into the soul and then go up to the spirit. We have to rethink how to grow. But that's what the process of holiness is. You grow, and then <clears throat> when you journey through this life, then comes the glorification, the hope of heaven. You get out of this tent, you change this body for a brand new body. And John, your eyes, you get brand new eyes. And uh, when you have cancer, there'll be no cancer. There'll be no more tears, no more back pain, no more headaches, no more worry about dementia, no more 
when you get to that end of life, you think, I'm ready to go. <laughs> so, Lord, take me home. But your faith is hope. Your faith has hope, and that's very clear to motivate you that you're not just trying to keep this together here. You're in departure mode, ready to go home on a trip. That's glorification. Well, to say it another way is salvation is restored relationship, what Jesus did for us on that cross. Sanctification is improved relationship, what the Holy Spirit does in us to increase our faith and love for him. And perfected faith is what God will do with us when we get home. This means your faith has to be nourished, strengthened. So what is formidable faith? And I will say to you that if you are a Christian, you are one formidable person, dangerous in many ways, because you can be upsetting people who have just general faith. At the wedding yesterday... Now, you guys know me how shy I am. Everybody is a bit shy. I'm in a room full of people besides the wedding party and they're over there. All these families are so well connected and they love each other and they haven't seen each other, second, third cousins. And, and I don't know anybody except Joe and Leah and the parents I met. And, and so I'm seated at a table of strangers. They put the placemats on. And lo and behold, now what would you guys do? And I've told you this before. I say, okay, Lord, I don't know why I'm sitting at this table, but I know that you know. And sure enough, across the way was a couple that uh, the Lord wanted us to meet. She said, uh, pastor, huh? And I could tell by her tone at first, she was very uh, not sure how to relate to me. And that's all right, because I understand this role. But I said, yeah. And so I, I began to share my story. And she says, I said, did you guys grow up in a church background? Or, and, uh, and I think about what we were talking about this morning, the wedding, that God, God has ideas for marriage. Well, they had just gotten together not too long ago. She had been retired. He had been retired, and they got together. She says, I go to a Unitarian Universalist church. I went to a Methodist church, and I, I, didn't, I got the stories, but I thought, nah. And now I go to a Unity church, and I just don't think any of this stuff. And then she started saying, and you've heard this before, you can't really believe the Bible. I mean, you can really literally leave it literally reading the Bible as it is. Now, I've got some nice um, Italian food. The chicken was great. The steak was great. The tortellini was It was all great. And so I'm listening. and But she's going off. Besides, there's been so much damage done, harm done because of religious people. What would you say? Are you, do you have a formidable faith to be able to answer those questions? I don't know about you, but I've been doing this <clears throat> for a while, and I've had lots of experience, but I said, you know, uh, you say that there's been so much damage done because of religion. I said, that's not true. I said, there's a lot of things done in the name of the religion, but it's really politics. Jerusalem is all about politics. It's not about religion. The Crusades weren't about religion. 
It was about politics. It was about power. Let's capture it. Get rid of those, the Muslims who've taken our Jerusalem. And so when I talked about Islam, I said, <clears throat> if you were to change that sentence, there's been a lot of dam damage done because of politics, not religion. She goes, hmm. I never thought about that. <laughs> and that ended her conversation. <clears throat> that ended her question. Then she went to something else. And every time she would say something, I would say, well, have you thought about this? That you can't read the Bible like you do comic book or your poetry or you don't, uh, you read your recipes literally, don't you? I mean, you read the state law when the policeman says, this is your ticket. You say, ah, that's just your interpretation. <clears throat> there's, a way, there's a way you read things. I said, you have to know what the purpose of the literature is. She says, huh, never thought about that. And one by one, as I we just had back and forth. She was listening, and I was respectful. And she said later, I've never had such good time talking with a Baptist pastor. I said, do you know there are 256 kind of Baptists? I didn't know that. <clears throat> the point was this. I quickly got off religion because I didn't want to talk about religion. I wanted to talk about relationships with Christ. And that began the time to tell my story what Christ did for me, and I was able to do that. Are you able to do that? To share the fact that God is gracious and kind and good and has done for us? In the book of Romans, Paul goes to the Romans and he says, uh, at the beginning of Romans, his purpose, as you see as we go through this, he says, through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles, the people across the table for me, and uh, to the obedience that comes from the faith for his name's sake. How on earth are they going to respond in obedience if they have no faith? Therefore, our job is to open the door for the Holy Spirit to bring people to salvation, to help people grow in that relationship, and then they grow formidably through obedience that comes from the faith. And he has that other bookend at the end, Romans 16, 26, but now God revealed and made known through the prophetic writings, the Bible, uh, by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles, that's you and me, might come to the obedience that comes from the faith. And there it is again is that if you have faith, it's one thing. If you have immature faith, it's another thing. But if you have obedient faith, you become formidable. And what that means is this, that you're anchored in Christ in such a way that your heart is settled. You don't fear. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And if your heart is lined up with the Spirit of God and the Word of God as a man of God, as a woman of God, you become formidable because you have strength and you have power that's not yours. It comes from Christ. Now for me, I tell you, when I was 24 and I was thinking about growing up as a man, I thought, who do I want to be? I was a young Christian and I thought, well, name all the famous people. Who are your heroes? 
and I thought some bad uh, people that I was reading, but I thought, there's just nobody else like Christ, the smartest man on earth, the most humble man on earth, the most loving man on earth. And at the wedding yesterday, I said, all the, with some of the wine and the alcohol that was going back and forth, and the party spirit, I said, you know, Jesus would fit right in here. He would love to celebrate, like the wedding at Cana. I said, he knows how to party. He knows how to live. He knows everything. And he has everything I want. And he wants to teach us to follow him. I thought, man, why not do that? That's a great deal. We don't talk about Jesus. We talk about damage done because of religion. We talk about you can't believe this. They've missed the point. But if you love the Lord and you want to be understanding what that growing means, it means you have a groundedness a solid substance, a faith that's unshakable, a foundation that's sure, and that when you die, your hope, your name is written in the book of life. There's something great about being a Christian if you are mature. If you are immature and ignorant and you're struggling with sin and you're struggling with Satan and Satan's deceiving you from that simple and pure devotion, you're missing it. But Paul said, eye hasn't seen and ear has not heard all that God has got prepared for those who love him. And a formidable faith is someone who's so in love with Christ and becomes more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And that's maturity at a different level. And so you think about increasing your faith. And that's where we're going to stop uh, now, except I just want to lead you where we're going to, because some of you are there. We are, we are a learning community. A lot of you have got these foundational things. You've got a lot of the experience coming, but you're lots, there's still more to learn, and that's the message. There's more that he's got prepared for us. But as we go on, I want you to think about what happens. That if you are maturing as an independent, from a child wobbling around to an adolescent, and then you're trying to figure out how to fit, then you become independent. You know who you believe. You know what you believe. You know why you believe. And that is your faith that keeps you protected. That's your faith that makes you not ashamed of the gospel. But if you have that formidable faith, then you have a witness by telling your story. And your story is the most effective tool that God has given to you. Because we believe that every man and every woman was created for that love of God. You were built for that relationship, and you may not have it, you may have it, but as you develop in your relationship, you really realize that God is much better, more gooder, I, just, I had to say that. Then we realize God is so much more for us. And yet to understand that when you follow Christ, he integrates and makes your world solid. He gives you a worldview that says you can handle the realities of the fall. You were built for shalom. But we're in a struggle because we don't live in shalom. We live in a fallen world with a fake Eden, trying to get things comfortable without the Lord. And yet, as you get that growth, you move into this 
world view, you say, okay, I, I can follow what Christ think, thinks. And then you have an integrated faith, and then you move into an interactive faith. The interactive faith means you become a participant, not passive, but active. And most of the churches aren't active in their faith because they're sitting in the pews. This is the worship service. But the service is outside when you leave the building. It's your relationships and how you influence people for Christ and how you interact with people and how they see Christ in you. It's your telling your story. And as you move into that maturity level, then you become involved, investing, and you become people who really start to labor in promoting the very ministry among your friends. Well, that's the, that's the movement that we're into. But we see that our job, that those who are lacking in faith need to do several things. One, they need to think about Christ and be Christ-centered in their thinking. Who is this guy? And why do you follow him? Well, let me tell you why I follow him. I love Jesus. I don't know why he would put up with me, but he did. I don't know why he would save me, but he did. I don't know why he would die for me, but he did. And that's enough to say I want to know him. Two, you want to think about the position that he gives you in Christ because when he gives you, the Holy Spirit will bring you into and guide you into that understanding of what life from the God's perspective is. And that means marriage, that means sex, that means entertainment, that means, that means joy, that means shalom, it means your whole life. And Jesus said, I am the life. So Christian, be alive. If you're mature, if you're not mature, you don't have much life. Three, you've got to have that sincere and simple devotion to Christ, to spend time in developing that daily prayer, that time before the Lord saying, Lord, here I am. I don't know how to know you. I haven't read the Bible for two weeks. I haven't prayed for, I don't know, I just seem like, I don't know how to get close to you. If you're feeling those things, then you need to grow up and think about that milk of salvation that will give you that desire to bring you to that maturity where you trust and respond. This isn't for babies. Therefore, as you get involved with a follow-up and have questions, this is the place you bring your questions, all questions, no matter what they are. Because if you can't find answers in this Bible, and you can't find answers in the church, where are you going to go? You'll be stuck with a silent faith. And last, you've got to stay involved in fellowship because it's the body of Christ that some have neglected. And pulling the stick out of the fire, they've lost their flame. As is the habit of some, people don't go to church. They go to Google, and they Google God because they get information. But don't be deceived. The kingdom of God is rooted in your relationships here, here, here. And that's why we must learn to care and love for each other as we encourage each other to grow in faith. Well, with that, I'm going to close. Just want to give you a taste of what's coming up. But isn't that exciting? Like I said to Joe and Leah, your marriage is God's affair. 
But God has more. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, it has not entered into the heart, sorry, into the heart of man, all that God has got prepared for him. He has more prepared. Are you listening? Are you learning? Are you growing? If you are, you become formidable. And that's good news, isn't it? It is. Well, we believe. And we take our faith uh, sincerely and seriously. So we want people to know Christ. With that, I'm going to close as we sing our last song, By Faith. And so the Gettys are going to lead us in that. Join them. And as you hear and sing this song, sing it to the Lord. Sing it to the Lord. And then we'll close in prayer.
He wants us to be strong. He wants you to learn to love him and your faith grow formidably. That's what you want. That's what I pray for. So as we go, I just want to ask you, are you nourished in your faith? Have you eaten regularly so that your spiritual diet really does give you the strength that you need to keep in step with the Spirit? Let me pray for us. Father, now again, we thank you that you do want your people to stand on your promise. And everything we just sung and everything we heard today, Father, I pray that they wouldn't just be words, but that you would give us the grace to be settled, strong, that we would talk to other people about the good news of Christ. Lord, bless us, Father, as you call us your children. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us to be adopted. And Holy Spirit, would you pour out his love in our hearts so that we might reflect that to each other and to those who don't know you. Make us fruitful for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great afternoon. Uh, I don't know. It won't be Tuesday.